Welcome back to another exciting episode of Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Hey, 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 Mr. Cornwell here. Welcome back for yet another exciting episode. Today we'll be discussing Thomas Jefferson's Louisiana Purchase. Jefferson, if you recall, back in the 1770s, wrote the Declaration of Independence, at least the rough draft. During the war, he was a politician. At one point, he becomes governor of Virginia during the war. After the war is over, Jefferson is sent abroad to represent the United States. He's a diplomatic to France. So he's living in Paris during the 1780s, representing the United States. Then when the Constitution goes into effect, he comes back and he is George Washington's first Secretary of State. After he's Secretary of State, he narrowly misses replacing Washington as the second president of the United States, which makes him the second vice president of the United States. He serves as vice president to John Adams for four years. And then in 1800, Jefferson gets elected as the third president of the United States. He's reelected in 1804 and serves from 1801 to 1809. One of Jefferson's crowning achievements as president of the United States is the Louisiana Purchase. Jefferson buys the entire Louisiana territory from France for $15 million, which effectively doubles the size of the United States. The Louisiana Territory is much bigger than the state of Louisiana. We are talking basically most of the land west of the Mississippi River, out to the Rocky Mountains, from the Gulf of Mexico, all the way up to present-day Canada. So we're talking about 820,000 square miles, which is roughly a third of the continent. Let's take a short break, and when we come back from commercial break... We'll get into part two, which is how Jefferson made the Louisiana Purchase. Have you been saving for weeks and months and maybe even years to buy that perfect car or just enough money to put down the down payment on that house, but you just can't seem to save enough money? Something always happens. If that is you, head on down to Barings Bank, one of Britain's oldest banks established in 1762 by its namesake, Francis Baring. We've got low interest rates for good and bad credit and easy to qualify loans. So whatever your needs are, head on down to Barings Bank, the bank that financed Thomas Jefferson's Louisiana purchase from France. Welcome back from that short little break. Um, In part one, we set up the basics of Louisiana purchase. Thomas Jefferson's the president responsible for buying it. He buys it from France, which at the time is ruled by Napoleon Bonaparte. When Jefferson becomes president in 1801, at that point, the French Revolution is over, and Napoleon Bonaparte, a general, becomes the leader of France. So he is now the dictator of France. After Napoleon becomes the leader of France following the French Revolution, his goal is to reunite the French Empire. If you remember back 50-odd years, France was claiming most of the land in North America, present-day United States and Canada. Following the Treaty of Paris, 1783, all lands west of the Mississippi were given to the Spanish. Napoleon takes back part of that territory, the Louisiana Territory, which is about a third of the continent. He takes it from Spain. So his goal is to bring back the French Empire to the previous heights it was at before the French and Indian War. However, if you recall from world history, during this time, Napoleon is fighting the Napoleonic Wars, as they're known, in Europe. 
from his time until 1815 against Great Britain, and this is taking its toll on France and Europe. So by 1803, Napoleon is kind of giving up on his dream of reigniting the French Empire. Jefferson is fully aware of this, so Jefferson is trying to take advantage. Jefferson sends two people. He sends Robert Livingston of New York, and he sends James Monroe, the future fifth president of the United States. He sends them two to Paris to negotiate a treaty with Napoleon's government in France. Jefferson's offer is he would like to buy the port city of New Orleans and what's known as West Florida, which is a small part of the Louisiana Territory. He would like to buy that, and he's authorized them to pay up to $10 million for just the port city of New Orleans and small part of the territory. Now, during this time, James Madison is Jefferson's Secretary of State. James Madison has a big role in this as well. Jefferson's in D.C., Madison's in D.C., James Monroe and Robert Livingston are the two that go to France to negotiate. Now, once they get over there, they make the offer to Napoleon to buy New Orleans. He refuses to sell New Orleans. Instead, he counteroffers back and says, not only will I sell you New Orleans and West Florida, I will sell you the entire Louisiana Territory for $15 million. Monroe doesn't have the authority to do this. You know, he's been given the authority to buy New Orleans for $10 million, but he quickly signs the treaty, and at once he's excited but worried. So when he gets back to the United States, he presents this treaty to his boss, James Madison and Thomas Jefferson, and they're excited, but they're a little worried. A couple of reasons. One, Jefferson, if you remember, during Washington and Adams' presidency, was a strict interpreter of the U.S. Constitution, which means if it doesn't say it in there, then the federal government can't do it. So the problem with Jefferson's ideology here is nowhere in the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution or the, the amendments in the U.S. Constitution does it say anything that the president has the right to buy territory. So according to Thomas Jefferson's own constitutional beliefs, what he's doing is unconstitutional. If Washington or Adams had done this, Jefferson would have vilified them through the Democrat-Republican press. So that's Jefferson's first issue is, by his own beliefs, it's not constitutional. Secondly, presidential treaty has to be ratified by the Senate. And it's not a slam dunk because there's many people in the Senate that believe the same thing as Jefferson, that the president doesn't have the right to do this. In fact, most people in, in the Senate believe that the president doesn't have the right to do this, and, and Jefferson is acting outside the scope of the Constitution. Treaty is presented in the Senate. It's debated and voted on, and it narrowly passes, not by a wide margin, by only a handful of votes. What many people believe in the Senate and in the United States and Jefferson is that he really doesn't have the authority to do this. Jefferson says, this is what he says, he says the Constitution gives the president the right to govern land, so therefore it must also have the right to acquire new land, which is a very loose interpretation of the Constitution. So to put it bluntly, most people believe Jefferson, Jefferson doesn't have the authority to do this, but they also believe this is too good of a deal to just pass up. Napoleon's problem is the British in Europe. He doesn't care if he sells Louisiana territory to the United States, to Spain, to the Dutch, to the Portuguese. Napoleon needs funds to continue fighting the British in Europe over land in North America. So many people in the United States believe this is either buy it now or never have an opportunity. And if another European power is out there, it's only a matter of time before war. And that's exactly what happens 40 years later with the Mexican-American War. Once Mexico gains independence from Spain, then the United States goes to war with Mexico over territory out west. 
Jefferson's Louisiana Purchase is very controversial because it greatly expands the power of the presidency, and many people call him a hypocrite because when he's Secretary of State Jefferson or Vice President Jefferson, he's a strict interpreter of the Constitution. The federal government can only do what the Constitution says. But when he becomes President Jefferson, oh my, he's now a loose interpreter of the Constitution. King Thomas, the president can do whatever he wants to do. So he's criticized for this during his time, but it passes and goes down the history books as one of his greatest achievements because it effectively doubles the size of the country. And this idea of manifest destiny takes hold. It's manifest destiny means obvious fate. And it takes hold at this time through the mid-1800s. Many people in the United States believe in manifest destiny. What that means is the United States is God's chosen people to stretch from sea to shining sea. Not in the Mississippi River, not into the Rocky Mountains, but eventually go from the Atlantic to the Pacific Ocean. The, uh, the United States will control this entire continent eventually. That concept's known as manifest destiny, and the seeds are sown right here. So if you're a student of history, if you remember before the Treaty of Paris in 1783 ended the French, excuse me, ended the American Revolutionary War, the colonies stopped at the Appalachian Mountains. And then in 1783, at the end of the American Revolution, the United States now extends out to the Mississippi, which effectively doubled. And then 20 years later, in 1803, through the Louisiana Purchase, the United States effectively doubles again. Doubling twice in 20 years is quadrupling. The United States is growing rapidly in size, and the only thing left is from the Rocky Mountains out to the Pacific Ocean, which at this time is part of Spain. All right, so enjoy this last commercial break. We'll be right back to wrap things up with the final segment. And in the final segment, we're going to discuss what Jefferson does after the Louisiana Purchase. Since we are discussing Jefferson's Louisiana Purchase, he bought it from the French under Napoleon Bonaparte, I thought it would be a good time to do a quick bio on Napoleon himself. Napoleon was born on the island of Corsica in 1769, shortly after the French had taken it over the island of Corsica, which makes him a French citizen. Uh, he rose up during the French Revolution of the 1790s. He joined that and he rose up to military fame and became a national hero during the French Revolution. Following the French Revolution, Napoleon seizes power. First, he makes himself first consul of France in 1799. And then in 1804, he names himself Emperor, Emperor of France. So he takes control after the French Revolution of the government, not just the military, but the government as well. Uh, once he's in power, he goes on a series of campaigns uh, to expand his system of government. He invades into Iberian Peninsula, Spain, and Portugal, and puts his brother in charge. He invades Russia, Austria. Winds up happening by 1814. Napoleon is defeated by a large European coalition, and Paris falls and he is forced to abdicate or leave as emperor in 1814. At that point, the Bourbon dynasty was restored to power. However, Napoleon escaped from Elba, where he was exiled to, in 1815, and regained control of France. So the response to that was at the Battle of Waterloo in June 1815. The British defeated Napoleon's forces, and forced him into exile on the island of St. Helena, which is in the Atlantic Ocean. He dies there in 1821, or six, six years later, at the age of 51. 
So what impact did Napoleon have? He had a great impact on the modern world. He brought liberal reforms to many countries that he conquered throughout Europe, especially in the low countries like Switzerland and parts of modern Italy and Germany. And he also implemented liberal policies in France and Western Europe. So I hope you enjoyed that little quick biography of Napoleon. And now back to more of Jefferson's Louisiana Purchase. All right, welcome back for our last segment on Thomas Jefferson's Louisiana Purchase. So at this point, we've discussed Jefferson buys Louisiana territory from the French, Napoleon Bonaparte, for $15 million. He's got some questions whether it's legal or not, but everybody approves it because it's just too good of a deal to pass up. So once the United States acquires this territory, the next thing to do is see what's out there. Thomas Jefferson would like to go explore it himself. Jefferson is the most well-read person on the American West. He has an extensive library, and he's read a lot of books about what's out there in the American West. But the problem is the president can't be gone for this long, and it's way too dangerous for the trip for the president to go. So Jefferson physically can't go himself. He chooses his personal secretary, Meriwether Lewis. Meriwether Lewis is a friend of Jefferson, kind of like a kid brother or maybe a cousin, They're not related, but the Lewis and Jefferson families have been friends for a long time, and Meriwether Lewis is intelligent. He's a little bit of Thomas Jefferson, and he's a little bit of George Washington. He was in the military before. He's brave. So Jefferson would like to go himself, but he can't, and he knows it, so he picks Meriwether Lewis. He believes Lewis is brave enough and smart enough, intelligent enough to not only go out there, but to keep good records journals, reports about what they see about the information, and then report back to him. And in turn, Meriwether Lewis chooses his old CO or commanding officer from his time in the military, William Clark. So we know this as the Lewis and Clark expedition. The official name of the expedition is the core of discovery. What that means, core, means it's a military expedition paid for by the U.S. Congress. So this is not 50 best friends going on a canoe trip out west or on a hike out west. This is a military expedition put on by the U.S. government. And Corps of Discovery tells you discovery means to see what's out there, to discover or find what's out there. So the purpose of this trip, the reason Congress is paying for it, is to get accurate information on what's out west. So Meriwether Lewis and Bill Clark and about 50 people, they leave St. Louis, which at the time is on Mississippi River, about as far west as you can go and still be in civilization. And they leave in 1804, and they are gone for over two years, about two and a half years. When they come back, it's 1806. Along the way, they get valuable information on Native American tribes, on terrain. That means the land, this great meadow they've heard about. They now know is the Great Plains. And then the mountains, the Rocky Mountains are out there. They get information on which animals are out there, which plants are out there. It's a fact-finding trip. Something that's really cool is they find animals that nobody had ever seen before, like prairie dogs, and they send them back to Jefferson. And while Jefferson's president of the United States, he keeps a couple of prairie dogs on the South Lawn at the White House. So dangerous to say the least. What do we really get out of the Lewis and Clark expedition is accurate information. Jefferson may be the most well-read person on the American West, but most of his books are inaccurate. 
Before the Lewis and Clark expedition, most of what we know from the American West was handed down from Native Americans. And if you remember, Native Americans didn't write their stories down. They told them oral histories. And over generations and centuries, stories tend to be embellished a little bit. How inaccurate were some of the history books that Jefferson read? In one of the books, it said the woolly mammoths lived out west on the American frontier. Woolly mammoths are dinosaurs, folks. So Jefferson believed there might be a chance that there's actually dinosaurs out there. That's how inaccurate they are. So Lewis and Clark expedition, the biggie from that is it gives us accurate information for the first time. What's out west? Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode on the Louisiana Purchase and got some useful information out of the Purchase and the Lewis and Clark Expedition. We'll see you next time around the corner. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Be sure to hit that like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss another episode. See you next time. I am Blaine Jaffe, the voice of the intro and exit for Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Thank you for listening.